0: This is the Locked on Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, RM Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to preview the series ahead as the Marlins host the Mets for three, and then they'll host the Phillies for four more. We'll just talk about the Mets series today. The Mets are an incredibly banged up team that the Marlins really need to be able to take advantage of here. You have a lot of division games coming up, throughout the season. We know the Mets are going to be a tough team to beat, especially when they're all healthy. So if you can get a couple series wins or at least one here earlier on, especially after the uh, rocky start against the Mets earlier in the season, you got to take advantage of that because they are not going to be easy to beat when they're healthy. Right now, they're banked up. I'm going to talk about what their lineup is looking like right now. It's not good. You never know what's going to happen, though, with the Mets and they still have Francisco Lindor. They still have Pete Alonso. They still have plenty of guys that can swing it just right now nobody is really swinging it that well for them and a lot of their players are out I also wanted to discuss Miguel Rojas because I really don't think that people outside of the Marlins sphere are giving this guy the respect he deserves Miguel Rojas has solidified himself as a top six or seven shortstop in this game I'm going to highlight some of the stats and reasons that back that up aside from the fact that if you watch him every day you kind of just see what Miguel Rojas is able to do he's not somebody that's going to wow you in the stat sheet but then by the end of the season he's up there in war he does all the little things and of course his teammates love him something that stood out to me a couple games ago it was the game against the Phillies where game two It was Yimmy Garcia, he was in there, and that was the game where the ball almost got out for the walk-off three-run shot, but fortunately was caught right at the track. Just before that, Yimmy Garcia had been struggling a little bit, a few guys were on base, and Miguel Rojas called time, walked over, talked to his pitcher, calmed him down a little bit, and then Garcia closed it out, and remember, Miguel Rojas played with Garcia over in LA as well when they were both with the Dodgers. He's known Garcia for a while and I just love to see that. I mean you cannot really put it in the stat sheet. Not even war would be able to measure the value that Miguel Rojas brings to this Marlins team but I am going to give some of the numbers to give the background of what he does bring on both sides of the ball as well. Let's start with the series though as the Marlins have a three game set ahead I'm recording this a couple hours before game one which will be a bullpen game for the Marlins. As You know how much We love those. Against Marcus Stroman, that's going to be a tough one for the Marlins. I mean, Stroman has been throwing well this year. Ground ball pitcher in Marlins Park. They're going to need to be able to scrape together a few hits in a row and play small ball and manufacture some runs, or Corey Dickerson's going to need to go yard. And I'm not just picking on Dickerson because of the Dickerson damage trend that I've been talking about all year long, but because Corey Dickerson owns Marcus Stroman. I mean, he has had his number throughout Both of their careers, a 424 hitter against Stroman in a large sample size. 14 for 33, five doubles, two homers, only five strikeouts, and only a 15% lift rate. He just squares balls up off of Marcus Stroman. So I'm interested to see if that'll continue. He swung it well against Stroman the first time that the Marlins squared off against him earlier this season. And the Marlins are going to need... Corey Dickerson to continue to expose that and take advantage of that edge he has on Marcus Stroman, whatever it is. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. 758 slugging for him against him as well, and a much higher exit velocity than he normally has at 91 miles per hour. So we'll see how Corey Dickerson is able to keep it rolling against Marcus Stroman. He was slowing down a little bit, compiled a few hits in a row in, this, in the end of this series, and it's a perfect time to get him going again against a guy that he really enjoys to face. Outside of Corey Dickerson, for the matchup later today. There's not really any other significant track records against Marcus Stroman, so it's really just Dickerson that's seen a lot of Stroman, and I'm guessing that dates back to when Dickerson was with the Rays and Stroman was with the Blue Jays, so it saw a lot of them in the same division over there, and now again in the same division in the NL East. So, looking at the other matchups, as it'll be John Curtis opening, I, I believe it'll be John Curtis. We'll see. It always switches up late there, but John Curtis against Stroman, and then Game 2 would be Pablo Lopez, Opposite of Joey Lucchesi, who is the scheduled starter... For the Mets in that one, and then we get to see our third look at Cody Poteet for the third game of the series against what would probably be a bullpen game for the Mets. It'll be Sean Reed Foley who's the scheduled opener for them in that ball game. Reed Foley's been really good out of the bullpen, but he's not a guy that is really much of a threat to be stretched out too much. At least from what I know, we'll see. You never know with what the Mets may do here, but I'm expecting a bullpen game, and that will be maybe advantage Marlins if they have Poteet throwing the way he has been throwing. So that's what I wanted to discuss a little bit of, too, is what Cody Petit's been able to do to be able to have this success through his first two starts. We're getting a little bit more of a sample size each time he starts. But now two games gives us a bit more to work with. And I thought he was even better in that second start. We saw a couple mistakes in game one that he pitched against the D-backs. Overall was a great outing for him in that one. He did hang that one breaking ball that Andy Young just pulverized, and then he got away with a couple other hangers, but overall was really solid, then even better in his second outing. And when you look at the overall numbers, I mean, they're really great, and even the underlying numbers, albeit small sample size, still good. Through two starts now, 10 innings, nine strikeouts, a .9 whip, I mean, it's really solid. 1.8 ERA, and he's not giving up a ton of allowed contact so far, other than that one just nuke off of the hanging slider. And the stuff's been good. He's actually had a lot better stuff than he's ever had in the past, and that's why I kind of said ignore the scouting report on him. I know when somebody gets called up and we're like, okay, I know his name, but I don't know that much on him. Let's kind of refresh on the scouting report. Generally, I would agree with that, but since we didn't have a season for 600 days in the minor leagues, and petit has been a lot different since he last pitched, or is a lot different since we last saw him in 2019. The fastball vlo is up, averaging 94 miles per hour. The spin is up just above league average at 2381 RPMs. The changeup is a much better pitch for him, and the slider is more viable. While I think the changeup is far and away his best secondary pitch, the slider has been pretty solid for him as a pitch that he can throw more to righties because the changeup he goes to lefties with that one the slider he goes to righties and he even mixes in the curveball from time to time but that's more of a strike stealer to lefties where he'll float it in there as a backdoor pitch for a called strike type of thing but that's been a really good recipe for him to be able to have that four seam fastball that he sets the tone with that while it's not anything crazy at 94 miles per hour it's got decent spin he's located it really well and so far opponents have hit just 190 against it. They're 4 for 21 and he's got decent whiff rates. 24% whiff rate on that heater, and I think a big reason why he gets a swings and misses is that a lot of hitters up there, especially the lefties, are really wary of the changeup. The changeup has been spectacular. 39% whiff rate on the changeup. It looks great, and especially on lefties, he doesn't really go right on right with it, especially cuz he has that slider, but the changeup has been phenomenal. When it comes to vertical movement, Cody Petit's in the top 35 players in baseball top 35 pitchers in baseball in change up vertical movement which is a great stat on top of that to have the added velocity to the fastball to create that added separation and having more spin on that fastball to make it play up in the zone more in the changeup with pretty elite or at least well above average vertical movement working down in the zone he has his arsenal kind of maximized here where he's able to get more out of everything that he has and I love to see that from Cody Petit that's why I'm I'm pretty sold on the fact that he could be a decent back-end guy. I think we're really seeing a good chance here that he could be a decent back-end guy. He's going to have his blow-up starts from time to time because if he doesn't have his change-up going, he's going to be in trouble. And that's just what you see with pitchers like this, but that's fine. I mean, the Marlins are getting a huge boost here from Cody Petit. And I think he's somewhat similar to to uh, Trevor Richards, who, by the way, just got traded from the Rays over to the Brewers as part of the Willie Adamas deal, opening up a shortstop spot for the Rays. I know a lot of people are saying it may be uh, time for Wander Franco. I think it may be time for Taylor Walls before we see Franco, but you never know. And that's really exciting regardless. It's one step closer to the youth movement over with the Rays and kind of shows you even if you have a decent young player, if you've got a prospect that you think is really going to make an impact at that same position, it's okay to trade the veteran or even that relatively young big leaguer, if you think that minor league option that you're going to bring up is a much better choice. And I don't think for the Rays that they traded Adamas just because of Wander Franco. It's because they also have Taylor Wolves. They have Vidal Brujan. They have Xavier Edwards. They have so many middle infielders, kind of like the Marlins have with outfielders, that they are like, we're going to have it work out with at least several of these guys. I mean, Wander Franco goes as close to a sure thing as you're ever going to have, but on top of that, they have a lot of other really solid prospects. I think it's similar with the Marlins with the outfield. And that's what we're going to see after this season. Anyways, back to Petit. When you look across his arsenal, nobody's gotten a hit off the changeup yet. That's incredibly encouraging also. And why I compare him to Trevor Richards is obviously the changeup is the go-to pitch that really helps him a lot. He doesn't lean on it nearly as much as Richards. He only throws it about 20% of the time, but he has a much better fastball than Trevor Richards at 94 miles per hour on average and a lot more spin. So that's why he's able to not lean on the changeup as much, but it still is a large key to his success. And I'm eager to see that third start because once you get to three or four starts in a row now of turning in quality outings, then it starts to become a little bit more real that you could be a viable big league arm. So we'll see that outing, which he is slated to throw on Sunday. And then of course it is Pablo Lopez day on Saturday against Lucchesi. So a good matchup in both games two and three, I would say it favors the Marlins today is going to be a favoring matchup for the Mets as the Marlins try to survive another bullpen game. I'm going to talk about the Mets lineup or what is left of it right now. Also going to talk about Miguel Rojas and why he is one of the better shortstops in the game. That's going to come up in just a moment. Before I get to that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Wealthfront. Day trading can be a lot of fun, but odds are you are not going to beat the market. In fact, studies show that only one percent of day traders beat the market so the odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone you should team up with wealthfront instead because investing can be complicated whether you're a beginner or you've been investing for years wealthfront makes it easy they have the right tools for every portfolio wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified low cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all the investing based on the preferences you control. Wealthfront can even help you lower your taxes you pay as you invest. For the average client, Their tax loss harvesting can more than cover the low annual 0.25% advisory fee. Best of all, it's automatic. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets and you can get your first $5,000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB. To get your first $5,000 managed for free, go to Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB. That's Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB. Locked On MLB. Also brought to you by none other than Built Bar. Nine delicious flavors. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate and salted caramel. There's literally one flavor for everyone, but best of all, they're covered in chocolate. They're easy to chew. They are great for a keto diet because they are low in calories, low in sugar, low in fat. And say it with me, high in protein. What else could you want in a protein bar? If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's locked one five. You'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked one five for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. So back to baseball, let's talk a little bit about this Mets lineup. Well, this is the lineup that they rolled out. They had an off day yesterday, a much needed off day for the Mets who sit at 20 and 17, and they actually lost to the Braves, but they took two out of three in that series. But in that last game of the series, they lost and I'm surprised they even scored four runs. It was four runs, on four hits and this lineup, man, I mean, this lineup is really, really bad, but you know, you never know what they can do because at the end of the day, again, it's Francisco Lindor and they have Dom Smith as well as the incredible Jonathan VR. So we'll have a Jonathan VR revenge game. Potentially he homered. In that last outing, maybe he's getting hot. You know he's going to want to get a little bit of revenge on the Marlins. We'll see how he does. It's really funny, though, because I have some friends that are Mets fans, and they're like, we love VR. He's awesome. Why didn't you tell us he was great? Why would you say he was the worst? And uh, I was like, just wait. Just wait. I'm just going to let them enjoy VR until he ruins game seven of a series when he gets picked off in a key situation. But I think he's going to fold before that. I don't wish that on VR, but from all accounts, I've heard he's not the nicest guy in the world either. So anyways, Jonathan VR, big part of their lineup right now. And honestly, he's probably one of their better hitters at the moment. Uh, Francisco Lindor has been swinging it a bit better as of late, still hitting 189. So that's been a wild, wild story there. And I'm not saying sound the alarms, bust of a contract on Francisco Lindor just yet. But remember, he wasn't that great last year either. And people were kind of saying, and I I could understand the argument, you know, he's just once out of Cleveland, he's just kind of tired of Cleveland. Well that could be the case. But now that you start to bleed those struggles from last year into the struggles during this season, and it's more so now, okay, this is more than just a slow start to this year. He was mediocre last year. So what's going on with Lindor? And I know Marlins fans really wanted him. And I still think I would take him in two seconds right now. Don't, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, this is worth following here. What's, what's going on with this guy? Is Francisco Lindor going to get out of this anytime soon? I mean, he needs to figure it out because he's not even remotely uh, swinging it well overall. He's been a little bit better as of late, but it's rare to see a hitter of his caliber be this mediocre or this bad for this long. And their lineup, let me take you through it. This was this was their lineup two days ago. Jonathan VR played third and was in the leadoff spot. Jonathan VR at third base is hilarious. Francisco Lindor playing shortstop, batting second. Cameron Maben batted third in the game two days ago. Cameron Maben and the funniest part about this I don't remember if I talked about this in the last episode, but this is so funny to me. Cameron Maben was traded for $1. Yeah, I think I definitely talked about it. He was traded for $1 just a singular dollar. I have had players in my men's league traded for more. Maybe that was just a me thing, but I found that outrageously funny. Well, the Marlins get to uh, see another former player with Cameron Mabin. So a lot of former disappointing Marlins on this ball club. And then in the cleanup spot was Dom Smith, James McCann in the five spot. Then they had Peraza batting in the sixth spot and playing second. Then Fargus. I I don't even know who that is, but he played center field for them two days ago. Uh, Khalil Lee, who came over in a trade with the Royals and. You know, Khalil Lee's all right. He's a good defender. He's fast, but he went 0 for 3 with three Ks. He has not even picked up a hit yet so far in his big league career. And then David Peterson was in the nine hole as the pitcher. So not a great lineup at all. Not good whatsoever. Honestly, the only guy that's been swinging it for him over the last 10 ball games is Jonathan VR. He's got three home runs over those last 10 games and 3 stolen bases and that's why all these Mets fans that I'm friends with are saying this guy's great, he's saving us right now, we love VR and I think he's had a few clutch hits this year but I think the clock is ticking, something's going to happen, it's, it's only going to be a matter of time I'm sure the Marlins are going to be ready to go to throw behind and pick him off, it would just make me so happy to see him get picked off once at least on the other side of things but as for the rest of the team, it's been a little bit better for Lindor hitting 250 over his last 11 games but still not ideal and then the player that are out. There's just so many good players out for the Mets right now. That's why the Mets are a sweeping giant at the moment, and you gotta take advantage of these games where you're playing a shell of what the Mets are. I mean, McNeil's hurt. Of course, we saw what happened to Kevin Pillar, who is a warrior, by the way. What an absolute beast. Also, Michael Conforto on the shelf. J.D. Davis could return for this series, but he is on the I.L. as of today. Uh, you also have Louis Guillaume, former Coral Springs Charter uh, baseball player, one of the tougher guys to ever get out that I faced throughout high school. I don't think he ever struck out, and he's still the same way now. He's out, unfortunate too, because I always love seeing him come back here. He always has a nice little fan section. He's going to be out at least till May 25th. Seth Lugo out at least until May 27th. You just have so many guys out. DeGrom coming back, but won't be back for this series. Taiwan Walker, unfortunately went down, and he was throwing great so far this season. You have Albert Almora out. You have Brandon Nimmo out. Out. You have Dylan Batances out, of course, also Jose Martinez and Noah Sindergaard. So you have just a lot, a lot of players out. Even your insurance policies to your insurance policies are getting hurt. So I did kind of rant about how the Marlins have had the odds stacked against them so far this year, and they have with a lot of the injuries. And each injury to the Marlins, I think, has a little bit more gravity because they don't have as much of the experienced big league talent that the Mets have, but the Mets are definitely feeling. It right now, and the Marlins need to kind of kick them mother down. I hate to say it, and I wish all of the Mets players a speedy recovery, of course, but due to the IL designation, none of these guys can come back, or at least a vast majority of them can't return even if they did wake up and were 100%, so the Marlins need to take advantage of that. I'm going to wrap up now with my boy, Miguel Rojas, who has just been so special over the last... Year and a half, roughly. I mean, it's just been an incredible stretch for him. And no matter what numbers you look at, he's been right around the better shortstops in the league over the last 80 to 100 games plus, maybe even more than that. But to make it simple, we'll talk about the first games of this season, and then scaling back to all of last year. Of course, he missed a little bit of time with the Marlins' whole COVID situation, but still played the vast majority of the season. So when we look at the overall numbers, and let's just start with war at the shortstop position dating back to last year. And there's some interesting caveats here to these numbers, but regardless, really, really impressive. When we look at war among shortstops, Miguel Rojas ranks sixth. However, he probably would be higher than that because when you look at the guys ahead of him, number one is Trey Turner, who is at 4.7 war. Xander Bogarts at number two, 4.4 war. Then Fernando Tatis Jr. at number three, at 3.9. You have Tim Anderson at number four, Trevor Story at number five, and then Rojas at number six, at 3.2 war. But here's the interesting thing. Rojas has only played 81 games. As for Trevor Story, who has just a 0.1 war advantage on him, he's played 102 games. So a huge, huge game advantage there over 21 games or 21 games from story over Rojas. So you would assume that Rojas would be able to achieve a 0.1 war in 21 games. So stick Rojas ahead of story as for Tim Anderson. He's only played 81 games as well. So you can put him ahead of Miguel Rojas and then Fernando Tatis, Xander Bogarts and Trey Turner. Those guys are probably ahead, but they have played more games, not Tatis. Tatis has only played five more games. And I don't think that Miguel Rojas is amassing a 0.7 war in six games or five games. So, you know, Fernando Tatis has a nice little edge on him, but still, I mean, we're talking about one of the best players in baseball over the last 100 games. I mean, Tatis has been absolutely incredible. As for Bogarts, I don't think there's anybody hitting better than Bogarts right now, and he has an 18-game advantage. It would be a closer gap from 4.4 to 3.2. The larger point is that Rojas is right there with those guys, with the best shortstops in the game. And I know the other guys are younger and, you know, bring a little bit more spark and all of those things. But Rojas does all of the intangible things and even the tangible, but in the analytics and deeper numbers type of tangible things like the defense. That is difficult to measure, but he has a massive defensive value. We saw him as a gold glove finalist last year. He might be playing even better defense this year. I think he's going to be a finalist again this year. It's going to be really just at that point. It's really just a toss up. I mean, we know that. Gold gloves are just so hard to decide. and There's so many different numbers and metrics and things you can look at. But Rojas, without a doubt, whether you look at the metrics, whether you look at the eye test, he's so smooth. He's been so good. And the war and the defensive numbers reflect that. And also the eye test does. So when you even just look at this year, this year alone, he's already amassed 1.5 wins above replacement. That puts him in the top 35 in the game, which is also really impressive. That's for any position and also puts him at number four among shortstops behind only Xander. Bogarts Trey Turner and believe it or not, Brandon Crawford, but Brandon Crawford's a defensive wizard and is raking this year. I don't know how, but he has 11 home runs, Um, so Brandon Crawford having this renaissance. I don't know what happened in San Francisco. They found the Fountain of Youth over there, though, because Buster Posey is going crazy. Evan Longoria is going crazy. Johnny Cueto is looking good again now that he's back off the IL, but he was looking really good before he was on the IL. Alex Wood is shoving, which the Marlins learned firsthand, and I remember you know when the Marlins played the Giants and got beat around by them a little bit. We were looking at it, or at least I saw a lot of people looking at it, like, why are the Marlins getting beat up in this series? Why are the Marlins getting shut out by Alex Wood? Why are they giving up so many runs to the Giants? But now we look at it, I mean, the Giants are one of the best teams in baseball right now. I think they have the best record in baseball. And uh, I guess those losses weren't so bad for the fish and even kind of exacerbate how hard the schedule was out of the gate for them, even more so, because their division games were tough early on. And then they had to go and play the Rays, they had to play the Giants, which at the time, didn't seem like a tough matchup, but now looks like it was given that they are one of the best teams in baseball by almost any statistic you look at. So not as much of a disappointing series for the Marlins against the Giants, but who knows how long this can last for San Francisco. Regardless, I I like it. I like it. I love all those older players that they have. Honestly, Longoria is a ton of fun. I've always been a Posey fan, even though I'm a Miami Hurricane fan at heart. And then Donnie Barrels, Donovan Solano, I'm always down for that guy to rake. So the Giants are kind of my de facto other. The team, I'll always root for a little bit. But yeah, let's talk about Rojas a little bit more as I wrap up here. The strikeout rate. He's a rarity in today's game. Everybody swings and misses. Everybody swings and misses. And if you don't swing and miss, you have to be like Nick Madrigal and you offer like zero power. But Rojas is offering more power in these later years of his career. And by later years, I just mean on the other side of 30, he's 32 years old now, offering way more power than he ever has in his career. And isolated power is the best way to measure that. And just to give it for reference, even if you don't know much about the stat, just listen to these numbers and I think it'll kind of contextualize it for you because it really just measures a hitter's raw ability to hit for power. And Rojas throughout his career was obviously below average because he never really hit for much power. When you look back at the early years with the Marlins was at 0.077 as he got a little bit later into his Marlins career was more towards 0.094. And then after that 2020 break, breakout, a 1.92 isolated power. So more than doubling it. And then so far this year, .176, also really strong from him, and as he's been able to heat up as of late, we're seeing a lot of the numbers start to match up pretty evenly with what he did last year. The BABIP is exactly even at 330. The spray charts are starting to become almost exactly even. The defensive value is almost exactly even, if not a little bit better. His ground ball rate, his fly ball rate, his line drive rate, his infield fly ball rate, it's all the same. It's all the same, which is great to see. The only number that has dropped A little bit is his home run to fly ball rate, which has dropped across the game because of the way they've changed the baseballs last year, 11 percent or 10.8 percent home run to fly ball rate, meaning that the percentage of fly balls you hit that leave the yard, it was 10 percent or 11 percent for him last year. And now it's 6.8 percent. We've seen that number drop across baseball by more than a, a percent and a half. But a player like Miguel Rojas, who is never going to hit it 450 feet, and even though his power is legit that he's been able to tap into, it's power that he generates just by squaring baseballs up and backspinning them and sneaking him over the wall by 10 or 15 feet. Now, he's more affected by the change in baseballs than maybe some other players like Giancarlo Stanton. You know, he's not really affected by it because he's either going to hit a 450-foot home run, now it's 430 feet. It's not as big of a deal. Of course, there's going to be a few balls that he miss hits that may have gone out if it was the old baseball, but it's not going to be as frequent as Miguel Rojas maybe squaring a baseball up that just doesn't carry as much because of the new baseballs. I think it's so dumb that they changed these baseballs. It makes no sense to me. And I think when we look back from earlier this year, I think the panels being open in Marlins Park and some other things – had a bearing on what we were seeing, but also a park like Marlins Park is going to exacerbate the changes in the baseballs even more too because it's such a cavernous outfield. The ball is not carrying. Literally 2% less of the balls hit in the air are leaving the yard, and that may sound minute, but that's a lot more than you think. Think about how many fly balls are hit every single day, every single game. Now, 2% of those are not leaving. And I can almost guarantee that that number is even larger for Marlins Park, where I bet there's even more of a hit of less balls that are hit in the air, leaving the yard. I guarantee it. I'm going to try and find those numbers for you for the next podcast and see exactly what the figures are for that at Marlins Park, the home run to fly ball rate. But I am almost positive. I would put almost anything on it that it will be worse and more exacerbated than other ballparks, given the obvious circumstances that Marlins Park offers. But besides the point, because Miguel Rojas is, still found ways to be productive. He's still hitting for almost as much power this year, and he's making up for it with more doubles. He has three more doubles. He has one more triple at the same game mark We're at the 41-game mark right now. Through 40 games last year, he had three less doubles and one less triple. So still finding ways to make up for it in other categories. I'm sure maybe one or two of those doubles were balls that would probably have left the yard last year. But it is what it is, and he still finds ways to be productive. And that is just why Miguel Rojas is so valuable outside of the things that he brings to the clubhouse, the leadership he is really looking like a more productive hitter all around that gets better every time we see him. Like He's 32 years old, yet he's getting better and better offensively, and he's just starting to heat up now. The WRC Plus is up to 133. It was at 142 last year. The walk rate starting to rise again, up to 8%. It was at 11% last year, but he was never really above the 7% mark over the last few seasons before that huge uptick last year. He's kept the strikeout rate in check for the most part. I expect him to be able to replicate last year's numbers, but on a 162 game scale, I think we're starting to see him do it enough here and consistently enough here and all the underlying stats point towards this being for real. And I think the Marlins are so lucky to get what they've gotten out of Miguel Rojas. And he has been such a fun guy to watch just get better and better as his Marlins career has progressed. It has just been a great story. So that'll do it. For today's episode, we're about an hour and change out from the first ball game of this homestand for the Fish. They'll look to make it another series in a row here, try to make it two in a row that they are able to win. They took two out of three from the Phillies. They got three here for the Mets and then four more at home against the Phillies again. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you on Monday.